Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hope. People hope for many things. We hope for the desires of our hearts for higher positions in life, and for the best for the future. Many of these hopes are practical for more opportunities and better circumstances, yet Christians share a deeper hope, a hope that touches the deepest longings of the human soul. Theologically, we hope for redemption. We know that the world around us is not at its best. Amidst the evils of the world and the sorrows of life, there is something within us that hopes for something truer, purer, something with sheer goodness. We all hope for the abundant life. Today marks the first week of Advent, a season recognized by the church around the world as a time to prepare our hearts and lives to welcome the coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas time. And we track this season by participating in several rhythms. One of those is lighting candles. One for each week leading up to Christmas Day. And today we light the first candle, traditionally called the candle of hope. With this candle, we symbolize the hope we have through Christ. Hope for redemption. Hope for light in the darkness of this world. Hope for heaven to touch earth and meet us in the midst of our mess and brokenness. The church discusses John the Baptist during Advent as a voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This herald of hope points to the majesty, honor, and kingship of Christ. So make way for the true king in your hearts. Clear the path. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Yet not only this, but we are also beckoned to cast our hope upon Christ as life giver, sustainer, provider, agent of transformation. So I invite you to put your hope in Christ again today. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for the hope that you brought us at Christmas. Shine your hope in our hearts, in our homes, in our communities, and around the world. When all seems hopeless, Holy Spirit, teach us to hope in Christ anew. As we're reminded that our hope is not in this world, Together we turn to you, Lord, and we give back to you the things that you have given to us. And so we ask, even as we take up the offering this morning, that you would bless both the gift and the giver, that you would use it to multiply your purposes to bear much fruit in your kingdom. Lord, we ask that you would use these simple offerings to accomplish your purposes. We ask it in Jesus' name, all of God's people said.
Isaiah 7:14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Matthew 1:23 tells us that this means God with us. So often understood as a declaration of the incarnation, but it is so much more. When you break down the meaning of the name Emmanuel, it is not just about God being physically with us. If that were all it meant, that promise would be gone. But when you look at the Hebrew, it tells us that maybe more correctly, it speaks to Jesus being for us. He's with us, as in he's got our back. We're not dependent on Jesus' physical presence. We know that he is with us. He goes with us, he walks with us, he helps us, he holds us and protects us. Even when he doesn't seem near, Jesus is God with us. I want to welcome you to Christ's Community Wesleyan Church. I'm Pastor Ray, and it's our hope that you find that God is with you this morning. A couple quick things. Uh, there's a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you, as well as a QR code. Whatever way you feel uh, that you need to fill that out, either digitally or in paper, go ahead and do that. We'd love to know that you were here today and have a record of your information. You'll have received in your bulletins a card uh, that has all of our Advent going-ons around the church. We want to make sure that you see that, that you notice what's going on, especially tonight with Simply Christmas this evening at 6 o'clock want to invite you back for that family event as we celebrate the meaning of Christmas. But just so you know, these cards were sent out to everybody who calls this their church home. If you did not receive one in the mail, that's a good indication that you should probably go ahead and fill that connect card out or scan the QR code and make sure we have your home address so you get those in the, in the future. 
But if you did receive this card, I want to encourage you to use this as an opportunity to invite somebody else to be a part of Advent or Christ Community Wesley. Again, Simply Christmas tonight from 6 until 8. A couple other things that we want to just make sure that you know about that are coming up. Uh, we want to make sure that you sign up for A Night to Shine. You can either uh, volunteer out in the lobby or using the QR code, as well as next Sunday we are having a child dedication. And so you can, again, scan the QR code, fill that out online, or go ahead and sign up in the lobby. I want to thank you for being here and want to encourage you as you seek the Lord this Christmas season that you hear his word as he speaks to you. Well, good morning. If we haven't met, um, can you guys hear me? There it goes. Okay. If we haven't met, my name is Steve Warner, and I, I serve here as the lead pastor and uh, excited about this season. I don't know about you, but this one, among all others, uh, leading into Advent and up to the Christmas season is an amazing time to recognize God's goodness, his presence, and just the reality of what it means to embrace the, the, the coming of the king, the, the arrival of uh, the, the one true light in our midst. I grew up in, in northern Ohio, and uh, in so doing, I am a Cleveland sports fan. I'm an Indians fan, in fact, and I remember going to games when I was younger. I remember all the time that we would cheer on the team, and, and even in the mid-90s, there were times when you could actually cheer uh, a lot, lot more back then than you could now. Uh, I remember specifically engaging in times where uh, I would have conversations with people who were Detroit Tigers fans, and specifically speaking, in all other areas and all other sports arenas, in those situations there was an actual rivalry. In this one it was almost like a pillow fight because neither team was very good, especially at the same time. But I still went to games, I still cheered on the team. In fact, when I met my wife in college, she's from Indiana, and uh, they don't really have a, a baseball team to speak of. Some of them cheer for Chicago teams. But uh, when I met her, I decided I was going to bring her along and help her to understand the ways of, uh, of the Cleveland sports uh, teams that I liked. And so I decided that I was going to take her to a game. And so she and I and another couple, who's actually Tigers fans, decided to go to a Cleveland, uh, Cleveland Indians uh, Tigers game uh, in Cleveland one year, uh, early 2000s. And in the 1990s, if you don't remember this, there was a, a fad where you would wear uh, shirts or you'd get shirts from Goodwill. And I had a specific shirt that said on it, Detroit Tigers 1984 World Champions. And so what I decided to do this day is to wear that shirt uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why, and then wear a Cleveland Indian shirt over top of it uh, so that I would cover both bases, so to speak. And so we went to the game, and our seats were in the outfield, actually right next to the Detroit Tigers' bullpen. And so when I would see a pitcher begin to warm up, they'd get in there, they would throw their pitches, and this was a, a game where there was a lot of pitchers that were coming into the game for both teams. It was a close one. It really mattered to both teams at that point in the year. It must have been really early on when they were both still in contention. And they were pitching, and they were getting ready. And what I noticed after every time the pitcher would get ready to go in is the, the, the pitching coach and the catcher would get together, they would talk, and then for whatever reason, they would pitch the ball to a lucky fan, right? Somebody in the stands that was standing standing by that was paying attention that would make eye contact and I decided at that point sitting right there in the midst of the game I wanted a ball so bad because I thought to myself if I could get a ball I'd give it to my girlfriend at the time I think she would be so pumped to get this baseball because obviously I would want one so it'd be a great gift for her. And so I'm watching and, 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 I, and I notice okay the guy's done warming up this ball is up for grabs and so I take the Indian shirt off right and it's a Tigers bullpen. I take the Indian shirt off. I look over and I notice the players that are there. They're all kind of looking around, just kind of getting ready to go into the game. They're not really thinking about this ball. It's not a big deal to them at all. But to me, that was like solid gold. And they're holding it and I look and I said, Spirit of 84, as if I'm some Detroit Tigers fan from way back. I didn't care at all about it. I just wanted, right? So I, I, I said, Spirit of 84, he looks up at me and he's like, and he takes the ball underhand, throws it to me, the easiest pitch ever. The ball comes to me, and we're gonna pause right there. <laughs> we're gonna pause for just a moment. And matter of fact, we're gonna pause for several moments, so don't leave early. 
Because this is the type of, uh, of anticipation that's being built. This is the type of, of hope that hopefully you have. Hopefully you don't want to see the ball hit me in the nose. Hopefully you don't want to see me drop it. Hopefully you don't want to see somebody else jump up and grab it. Hopefully you have a desire for me to gain the ball, to have a great thing. But all the distractions that were going on around me, the game was happening, the guy was yelling about concessions, all the other people that wanted this ball. And I thought to myself, that ball's kind of elevated in the air. Just don't drop it. This is a season, specifically speaking, where we are moving forward. This is the first week that marks the first week, just as Pastor Ray was saying, of Advent, where we're marching towards something special. We're marching towards this, in this season of hope, we're marching towards this arrival, this Advent. Advent is defined as the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Holy Advent, specifically, is Advent is a season observed in most Christian denominations as a time of expectation, waiting, and preparation for both the celebration of the nativity of Christ at Christmas and the return of Christ in his second coming, which is where we sit today as believers in Jesus who know that the Messiah has come and he has ascended after he's done his work. And so today we focus specifically, as, as the Helmers shared about, the prophecy candle, the candle of hope. And we're going to explore in chapter 2 of the, the Gospel of Luke what it looks like to live in anticipation of the coming of the King. I will start with a quick sidebar truth. It's uh, just going to kind of be a, a platform, a foundation for this entire series. It's a statement that actually I had the good fortune and the blessing to speak at Crew this past week, this past Thursday at 180, their service, and was blessed by that and had the opportunity to share this specific uh, nugget as well. So I'm going to share it here in this moment. I'm going to read from chapter 2, starting in verse 22, and I'm going to encourage you, if you have your Bible with you or you're on your smart device, to keep that open, to keep it on, because we're going to keep referring back to this. Starting in verse uh, 22, it says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem, this is Jesus, to present him to the Lord. And so here we're recognizing that Christ has been born, he is there, and the purification rites are to come. And it says, As it is written in the law of the, of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And so here we recognize specifically in this passage that Christ's parents in, his, in their wisdom and in their obedience are bringing him to this place of revelation, this place where he can be blessed and consecrated before God the Father. In fact, this is a, a perfect segue for those of you who are thinking about uh, engaging in child dedication next week. If you have not yet done so, please sign up to do so. We've got 11 children already on the docket. I'm so excited to celebrate this with their families and with their family, which is us, the, the family of God. But at the same time, there's this recognition that there's not just a, a moment where we bring our children to a platform to have them consecrated, but instead it is a daily act. And it's not just for children, in fact. In fact, it is for all of us. The primary passage that I read on Thursday at Crew was this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This sidebar comes with a point that is actually on your, uh, your, your reference guide or your outline, your sermon guide. And it's in this season that we start with this foundational point. Present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. God chooses, he desires to give us the opportunity to, to choose, to have free will, to embrace him or to choose otherwise. And here in this season, what better time in this moment of desire, this, this, this journey with hope, than do we step in and say yes to God? What does it say about God to give us this opportunity to see him differently, to see the world differently? What does it say about us to allow us to embrace this as well? This is a move from being selfish to being a criminal, to being a prodigal, as we, as we sang about, to being selfless, to being open to God. And sometimes it might be difficult because we might be blinded to the things around us or to our, even our own perspective. But in anticipation, we can give it to God. And in this foundational point, we can say, Father, whatever you have this season, whatever you want for us, whatever it looks like as we embrace the coming of the King, may our posture be one of selfless desire towards the king and the king alone. 
And so as we embrace this as living sacrifices, I want to walk through the rest of, of this portion of the passage in understanding that there are two prophets that demonstrate exactly what it means and what it looks like to have a posture that honors the God that we love that honors the one who, in, in, in engaging in the prophecy candle of hope, that engages this recognition that there is going to be a, a, a Messiah that is to come. The text introduces these two prophets specifically, Simeon and, and Anna, and these two individuals are embracing God in the way that God has called them to step forward. They're doing so in an all-in manner, in an all-in way. Now we live uh, some, somewhat out in the country, meaning that we, we don't have neighbors very close to us. We live outside of city, city limits. And so uh, deer hunting would be legal on my property if deer were dumb enough to come and be on my property. But this week, because of uh, circumstances and different events and activities, I decided to passively deer hunt at my house. And what that means is this. While I'm sitting at the table working on something or putting together a puzzle or doing something with one of my children or doing a gingerbread house, I kind of glance out the window every once in a while to see if a deer, for whatever reason, would just stumble through my yard. Guess what? It didn't happen, first of all. And second of all, that's the most passive and ridiculous way of attempting to try to deer hunt. That's not an all-in moment. That's a maybe-if-it-comes-along moment. And the reality is sometimes in life, as we embrace this, this journey of Advent, we recognize the fact that we could maybe in some way be mar moving through, marching through this season with a, well-if-it-happens kind of mentality. You know, I've got to do a bunch of shopping. I've got these things I've got to put together. I've got this big program coming up for the kids. I've got to bake 20 million dozen cookies for that thing that's going on at the school. I've got all this stuff going on. And if I can maybe peek out the window and see, oh, yeah, maybe, I don't know, Jesus, is, maybe, he's, maybe he's part of the season. You see, what, what we recognize through the, through the embrace and through the attitude and the action of these two prophets we're about to read about is that they are all in on this advent, this desire to see God move, to arrive. They have a posture of biblical holy advent. Simeon the righteous is the first one. I'm going to read in verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of, arrival, uh, of Israel, excuse me, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so we see, what do we know about him? We see that he is a righteous and devout man. We see that he is waiting for comfort and relief for Israel, not just for himself, but for his people. We see that the Holy Spirit is on him. So this, the Holy Spirit is bringing forth a specific understanding that he can embrace Jesus through this connection with the Holy Spirit in his life. And the Spirit had moved him to be in the temple when Jesus was actually being presented. And so the point is this, a posture of Holy Advent abides with the Holy Spirit. The reality is that while we wait for Jesus, while we, now, while we wait physically for Jesus' second coming, we do so and can do so in the presence of the Holy Spirit. God is already with us. He's already engaged us. He's already here. That gift, the one who has come, the advocate, is in, in our midst in this moment. I was having a conversation with somebody just recently, and they said, hey, you know what? I know what my mission is. My mission is to, to wait until after everybody leaves in the rapture, and then I'm going to be an advocate and try to help people uh, come to Christ after God comes in the rapture. And I thought, okay, well, there's, there's differing opinions on how the end times uh, goes and all that kind of thing, but can I tell you when, the, the, when, the, when the, the believers, when the people who engage God leave this world as followers of Jesus, when they are taken up, as Scripture says, the Holy Spirit also is removed. And so the reality of embracing uh, a, a time of evangelism after the Holy Spirit is gone is nearly impossible. May I say, if, if you're attempting to try to, to do it then, and you can't even do it now, what's going to happen? Certainly the wrath of, of, of God and, and the evils of the world is what's going to fill this world once the Holy Spirit leaves. And so the reality is we need to recognize the power and the presence of the God that we serve, the God who loves us, the God who is here, not in, in human form at this point, but in spirit form through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. He's here. He's moving. He's not waiting around. He's, he's journeying towards this moment of celebration. 
Verse 27 continues, it says, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his hands and praised God. And we're going to pause there for just a moment. This engagement relationship with the commitment of the Holy Spirit opened the door of engagement with the deeper relationship with Jesus. In fact, a posture of, the Holy, of, of Holy Advent and commitment to the Holy Spirit provides clear direction for life and eternity. This often results in clarity. When we embrace God first, he has a way of try, or attempting to try to put all things in order in our minds, in our spirit. He has a way of, of, of lining things up so we have a better understanding of our decisions, of the way we can embrace, the way that we could steward the things that we have. He has a way of putting new glasses on us so we can see things the way that he sees things. You see, when you grow in your depth with Jesus, he introduces us in a much deeper way in the Holy Spirit, he introduces in a much deeper way with Jesus. As the passage continues, here's what Simeon says. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. My purpose has come. I have done what you said you would do. I have experienced what you said you would do. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, The child is destined to cause the fall and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul you see, God keeps his promise to Simeon. He, he, he promised him that he would be there for the coming of Jesus, and then he was there. And, and, and the reality is that God is a promise keeper. He is the original promise keeper. He is the one that brings things to fruition, even in ways that we may never understand or we may never dream would be able to come to fruition. And then he uses Simeon, and he becomes the mouthpiece to share a prophetic truth about Jesus and, and even to his parents about what's going to happen in the world. And the point there, the final one for Simeon is this, a posture of Holy Advent creates a way for truth to be revealed. When we are obedient to God, when we step forward and say yes to him selflessly and however he wants to use us, he is able to do so much more through an obedient and open and selfless person. Yeah, he works in spite sometimes of those who may not be, but he can do so much more. You know, there's a reason why this time of year hearts and minds and lives are open to the gospel. And part of that's because of the reality that there's a, there's a, there's a, a listening, there's a, there's a hope, there's, there's a recognition of, man, things have, in life have not turned out the way that I might want them to. There might be something to this. And God wants to use us as his obedient hands and feet, as his obedient mouthpiece to step forward and say, yes, I can be your advocate through the power and the direction and the presence of a holy God. And the second prophet, Anna, the, the Anna the obedient. In verse 26 through, and, excuse me, 36 and 37, it reads like this. There was also a prophet, Anna. She was the daughter of Penuel, the tri of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, and fasting and praying. So what do we learn about this second prophet? We learn that she was from the tribe of Asher. We learn that she was uh, widowed for what most believe to be 60 years. We also learn that she never left the temple. And the reality of the fact that she never left the temple doesn't mean that you come to, to church. The, 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 the general perspective or application point doesn't mean that you come to church and you never leave. Because if you never leave, there, there's going to be no opportunity in many ways to, to go about the, the way that God has called you to impact your sphere of influence uh, or even to take a shower because there's not one in this building, right? So you, you need to have opportunity to go out into the world. But what it actually means is this, to be his temple. It means to be a person that can embrace him. It means to be in the presence of God at all times. And so the universal truth that we take from this is not simply about what it means to come and be in a physical place, but it has everything to do about a real and literal spiritual posture. 
A posture of Holy Advent worships God in all things, in all ways, in all means of stewardship. It's a whole lot easier for me to say this than to live it out. I understand that, but God's desire for us is to in all things go to him, in all things embrace him, in all things be his advocate, his hands and his feet. And then verse 38 continues, it says, Coming up to them as at that very moment, she sees Mary and Joseph, she sees this child, she sees Simeon there. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Can I read that part again? It says, first coming up to them. So she approached, she stepped forward uh, toward the God who had already made his arrival. And she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She gave thanks. This posture of worship was one of saying, God, I recognize my plight has been difficult over the last six plus decades. But I give thanks to you because of your goodness. I give thanks to you because of your presence. I give thanks to you because I recognize that you have kept your promise to me. And so two thoughts from this verse that come out. The first one is this, a posture of Holy Advent gives thanks. A posture of Holy, holy Advent is, is, is one of, of giving thanks, one of, of, of saying thank you to God, but also embracing that as a lifestyle. You know, we, we just celebrated a Thanksgiving holiday, and I will tell you that's not the only day that you have to give thanks. In fact, you can do it every day. That's, that's permission from your Christian brother. I will, I will just say, hey, let's give thanks every day for the large things and for the small things, but ultimately for the thing that matters most, for the one who loves our Savior. And the second point is this, a posture of Holy Advent intentionally focuses on what we are all waiting for. See, she was waiting for so long for God to bring forth his promise, the resolution to his promise by sending the Messiah. And after Jesus came and, and lived a perfect life, and what we're going to celebrate and observe on Holy Week and on Easter is that he died, and then he rose from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. And as a result, he said he'll come back. And what we know as believers in Jesus is that we are now waiting in a season of Advent again with hope relying on and listening to the truths of the prophecy, saying, God, we know you're going to come back. We don't know when it will be. But when you come back, we will be thankful. We will be selfless. We will be open to whatever it is you have for us, not passively peeking out the window every once in a while, but all in, embracing you. So that ball was just hovering there in the air. That ball was just hovering there in the air, and it was almost like it was slow motion. I could see the ball coming, and let me tell you, I was sitting in the outfield, so I felt it necessary to wear a baseball glove that day, and I had a baseball glove even. It was a six-foot throw at best. He tosses it up to me, and here comes the ball. And I see it in slow motion come into my glove, roll through my glove, and drop on the ground. And I could tell you it fell right at my feet and I was lucky. It wasn't like this where it came down to the next bench, but it fell at my feet and I was lucky. And the first thing I did is I reached down and I grabbed the ball. Can I tell you, I recognize that this year probably for many of us was not the year that we planned out at the beginning. That the plans that we had, the things that we had on our, on our calendar, our to-do list, the things that we wanted to do as New Year's resolutions last year, maybe didn't come to fruition in the way that we'd hoped they would come. And perhaps that was because things happened to us, or perhaps it was because of decisions that we made were, that were not necessarily the best. Maybe you're in a position at work or in a relationship. Maybe you're in a place with your finances or maybe you're in a place physically in your health and you're like, man, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go from here. Can I tell you, oftentimes in life, we're going to drop the ball. But here's the reality of the God that we serve. The God who first loved us. He gives us the opportunity to hold the ball again. And when we can't pick it up, he puts it back in our hand regardless. Because the God that we serve is not one that gives up on us. He's not one that abandons us. He's not one that leaves us. No, he is a way maker. He's one who loves us in all aspects unconditionally. 
He's one who steps in with whatever we're walking through and says, look, I'll give you another chance. And I didn't really think about that. I was going to throw it out there. You were, you were close. It was just my knee-jerk reaction. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's one that gives us a chance. He's the one that gives us the opportunity. Can I tell you, I was just thinking about this just right now. Like, what, what, how cool would it be just kind of, let's play catch with God, right? Our Father. I would imagine every time he's going to give us a kind of an easy one, and sometimes we're going to drop it. But guess what? He's not going to say, man, I can't believe he did that and stomp away. No, he's going to keep playing. He's going to keep cheering us on. He's going to keep empowering us. Because the amazing thing about God is, it doesn't matter how easy the toss is and how much we fumble it. It doesn't matter how bad or how, how difficult our posture is. He just keeps coming. We celebrate Advent every year. You know what I noticed about it? It keeps coming. God keeps giving us the opportunity to experience him, to embrace his coming once again, just over and over and over, his arrival to this world. And so the desire that, that we have specifically as believers, as we prepare our hearts, is to look directly at this season as we launch this together. And we're going to transition in a moment to embracing it through this moment of Holy Communion. But I want to ask these questions as reflection for you as we receive the elements in a moment. The first one is, can you see him? And then maybe the second one is, why not? Are you, are you focused on him or are you focused on something else? Are you focused on self? Are you focused on the distractions around you? Are you about ready to drop the ball because you're looking at what's going on down the road rather than focusing on him right here, right now? Second question, is there someone or something else that has taken, that's assumed the throne of your heart? What I mean by that is there's something else that's acting as an idol, sitting specifically in the position, in the place where God the Father is the only one that should sit. And I'm going to ask this question too, in this final one. Are you filled and led by the Holy Spirit only? Are you filled and led by the Holy Spirit only? Only Are the distractions of the world, are the things, of the desires of your heart, are those things uh, embracing what God would have for you, what God needs for you to, to, to hear, to understand, or are you engaging, embracing the Holy Spirit only? When we engage in, in Holy Communion together here at CCWC, we do so with, in a means what's called an open table, which means that you don't have to be a, a, a member of this church. You don't have to have a certain attendance record to come and, and, and to be part of this. Instead, the only requirement is the requirement that Christ had, which is that you would be a follower of him, a disciple of Jesus. And so in a moment, we're going to ask the ushers to come forward, and they're going to take the plates, and they're going to pass those plates down each aisle. And as they do so... My encouragement to you is to pick up a, a wafer and, and a cup and to hold those and to reflect upon those questions and reflect upon your spirit and where your directive heart is. Are you experiencing his hope through the prophetic message he has for you? At the same time as the, the, pat, the, the plates are passed, I will say that if, if you have, uh, just a, as a practical note, if you have a gluten intolerance, we do have wafers for you. We don't want anyone to miss out as a result of a, of a dietary restriction. But in this time, in this reflection, this understanding, hear this passage, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment was brought, uh, that brought us peace on, was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Is that your posture today? One of complete selflessness, openness, obedience to the king. I want to pray for us now as the ushers come. And then as we transition this moment together, may this be a time of reflection for his church in this place. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the way that you move. We thank you, God, for the fact that you don't give up on us. But God, your spirit is moving and leading and guiding. And so, God, I ask for in this time, in this place, an outpouring of your goodness, an outpouring of, of your encouragement and also your conviction where needed. And God, you are the only one who knows where and how those things need to be distributed. 
God, I pray that you would help us, Father, to be real and open, to be honest and vulnerable with ourselves and with you. May we hear your voice. May we experience your goodness. God, I pray that as we embrace this time of communion, Father, together, that you would consecrate these elements holy, make them new like yourself. So that as, they, as we consume them together, they represent the reflection of what your son has called us to, to consume your goodness, to be filled with your spirit, your hope, your promise. In your son's precious and perfect and provisional name that we pray and all of us said together, amen, amen. Ushers.
there's uh, many different practical ways to engage in the Holy Sacrament of Communion. Uh, there's different names for it, the Lord's Supper, Communion, Eucharist. One of the ways you might see in some churches is one where the wafer is not handled by anyone but uh, those that are serving. And so it would be different than you receiving the tray and taking the wafer from the tray as it comes by. Instead, you would come to the front and the priest or the pastor or the elder would place the wafer on your tongue. I'm not going to do that uh, today. But what I do want to take a moment to embrace is the reality of what that looks like in a very deep way, both as an internal reception of recognizing the reverence and respect in that manner, a practical way of realizing that in some regard there's a purpose behind that because the, the, those that are, that are administering the, the sacraments do not desire for that to, or they desire for that not to get dirty or for there any crumbs to be made. But the biggest one in this context is it reveals an openness on the part of those that are receiving. And while we're not going to embrace it in that same physical way, my heart for us today is that we would open this in a way where, God, we desire for you to serve us communion today. For you to be the one who administers this sacrament in a way where we embrace and glorify you, you as the promise keeper, you as the one who allows us to engage with you. The reason for this is because of Christ's call and his desire for us to continue to remember what he has done, to remember his sacrifice. And I can think of no greater moment, no greater instance, no greater event of hope in the history of the world than that of the coming of Jesus to this world. And so today we embark on his call, his command, to engage in this sacrament together. And as he arranged his disciples in that first meeting, that first communion time together as they celebrated the Passover, he took the bread, he took the cup, and both of them engaging in these two specific, separate, but very tangible and very common things that would be at the table in all aspects. And he used them as a symbol to represent what he was to do, the prophecy to come. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. Please take in remembrance of me. You may take the bread. And like it, later in the meal, he took the cup, recognizing that everyone present would note and know that this would be a necessary thing for any, any type of sacrifice. There must be blood shed. And in this case, it would be his, the eternal being, the creator of all, Jesus Christ. And he said, take and drink in remembrance of me. As we close, I read this prophetic account and promise. Isaiah chapter 40, it says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all the wilderness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Go this week with the hope of the fact that God's word endures forever. God's word and even this prophecy, which is yet to come, the promise which is yet to be fulfilled, will be fulfilled. Go this week encouraged. Go this week with the recognition that as we embark on this journey together that God goes with us. Go with him. He'll go with you. God bless you. You're sent out. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, 
or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.